Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. But he was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. It is the one to whom I dip this piece of bread. He gave it to Judas. After receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Little children, I'm with you only a little longer. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. This is the word of the Lord. Late Friday, Gail and I are driving down to Shreveport, Louisiana for me to give the commencement address at Centenary College on Saturday morning. I haven't been on the campus in a long time. It should be really beautiful this time of year. It has hundreds of azalea bushes all over the campus, rolling hills in the suburbs of Shreveport, Louisiana. It really is a beautiful campus. A little Methodist college that's been doing what it does so wonderfully well for more than 175 years. But I've been reflecting, of course, on some of my most outstanding professors, at least the ones that changed my life. And one of those was a history professor. I was a history major. His name was Dr. Brian Davidson. Uh, professors, as you know, can be a little eccentric, and this fellow didn't like bifocal glasses. So he had one pair that he used for walking to class, and then once he got into class and needed to call the roll, he would take this pair off and put them on the desk. He would take another pair out of his pocket, carefully put them on his eyes, but not go on until he had taken the other pair, carefully folded them, put them in the case, and put them in his coat. After he would read this list, and check who was present, who was not. Then he would carefully take those glasses off, take the others out of his pocket, out of the case, fold those up, put them in, back in the pocket, and put on the one so he could see the student at the back of the room. He had an annoying habit of asking a question and then asking the name of the person he wanted to respond. You see, it works like this. I had hours and hours with this fellow. He was so brilliant. I never saw him bring a note to class. He was one of those that after he called the roll, he would say, now the lesson for today, as I recall, began on page 248 and continued to page 297. Right near the bottom of page 249, there's an interesting discussion. Would you tell us what that was about, Miss Jones? And if she said, uh, uh, could you repeat the question? He took his glasses off and took these out and put a little mark by her name without responding and asked, Mr. Smith, would you help us with that? I remember him. At the time, I almost hated him, but I learned a lot from him. He was marvelous. Any professor I ever had who made this statement 
If you forget everything else, remember this one thing. You can be sure I was writing it down. Write down this one thing. And that's what Jesus does in this passage today. If you forget everything else, remember this one thing. Well, before we get to it, there are some other things we need to take care of. First of all, in the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus is attending a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The host is running out of wine. And Jesus' mother says to him, the host is running out of wine. And he asks, what has that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And now we're told Jesus knew his hour had come. It was Thursday night of that fateful last week of his life here on earth, and he knew the hour had come. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' human side is shown far more than it is in John's account, particularly in Mark, what the Nicene fathers would later say, in the synoptics, he was very man of very man in many ways. In John's gospel, he was almost always very God of very God. But twice, John uses a word for Jesus. Once, it's just a few verses before, when Jesus has arrived, he has seen a sister coming down the road to meet him, telling him that her brother has died. Finally, after much discussion, he goes out to the tomb, and as he approaches the tomb of Lazarus, he experienced what John calls terasso. Terasso is a strong Greek word. It's usually used in classical Greek for anger, even rage and indignation. He felt anger, rage, indignation as he walked to the tomb of Lazarus. And then John tells you something of why. In John's gospel, Jesus' life now is plotted against because he raises Lazarus from the dead. In the synoptic, it's because he chased the money changers out of the temple. It's because he ate with sinful people, ritually impure, unclean people. In John's gospel, if this man can raise the dead, we got to get rid of him. So to raise Lazarus is to put himself into that tomb. And now on Thursday night, to be aware that someone very close to him is about to betray him, and this is told in all four Gospels, by the way, causes him to experience Tarasso. The scholars say that what this means is that once again, and now more dramatically than ever before, he's confronting the powers of this world. In Genesis, that power of this world is symbolized in a talking snake, a snake that lies. When Dr. Brandon Scott gave our Barton Clinton Gordy series, he said the word Satan really has to do with the liar, the deceiver, the tempter. In the recent series called The Bible, uh, when Jesus has been baptized and goes out into the desert fasting, he's finally exhausted. He sort of falls face down in the sand of the desert and a snake crawls by. You know what the producer's showing you. Yes, the liar, 
the deceiver, the tempter, is here again. As at the very beginning, it's here again. Death, sin, death, sin. Thirteen days ago, there was a horrible bombing in the streets of Boston. And we've all probably heard more about the details now than we want to hear. But I found it interesting to read about the experiences of Roman Catholic priests who have a church just three blocks away, St. Clement's. Boston has a lot of Roman Catholics. And when these priests heard that horrible explosion, they didn't know exactly what it was, of course. It sounded terrible. They didn't know it could have been natural gas. It could have been any number of things right at the beginning. But it sounded terrible. It shook the convent and, the, and, and their residents there. And they quickly gathered oils for anointing the sick or administering last rites to the dead and rushed as quickly as they could that three blocks and were prohibited from entering that zone. Now this would not have happened 50 years ago. 50 years ago a clerical collar would get you almost anywhere. But times have changed of course. We know now the enemy is among us really close at hand and anybody can buy a clerical collar for $10. So the police were being extra careful at that point. The priests were not allowed in. They went back to St. Clement's. Runners who had not yet completed the race were being rerouted that direction. And they went in and every orange and every banana they had, they put out on tables every bottle of water they had and were there in their collars to help any way they possibly could. But one of their own was dying. Little Martin Richard and his family were Roman Catholic Christians. He had taken his first communion just a few months ago. He was that eight-year-old with the bomber set that horrible, horrible bomb inches from him and walked away. If that doesn't trouble your spirit, it ought to. It ought to. But death still wrecks such havoc in the lives of people. When there's sin and death, it troubled the Lord Jesus. Number two, another reason he's troubled, of course, is that hospitality has been extended and now rejected by Judas. Just three weeks ago, when I preached to you from Luke's story about the two walking to Emmaus, I told you that when they got to Emmaus and Jesus started to walk on, the resurrected Christ started to walk on, they compelled him to come in and have dinner. It's getting dark. It's not safe out there on the roads at night. Stay with us. And they extended hospitality to him. And I pointed out then that through the Bible, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament, when hospitality is extended, good things can happen but not always. Jesus has done the supreme act of humility and service, dusty feet in sandals on unpaved streets, 
and he gets down on his knees with a basin of water and washes those dusty feet and wipes them with a towel. He has arranged for the Last Supper, the Passover meal, so he's extended foot washing to a weary bunch of disciples. He has fed them, and one of those has betrayed him. One of the things that makes me angry about the Boston bombing is that these were people to whom our country had extended hospitality. The Chechnyans do not have a good record. They are the ones who commandeered a Russian school with little elementary children. Now, if they had a beef with the head of the Russian government, that was one thing. But elementary children? Over 300 of them? And they held them for days and days, the Russians trying to figure out how to get those little children out of there with all of these men with automatic weapons. And when the Russians and the Chechnyans were not getting along well, our country opened its arms to a family, a mother and father and two daughters and two sons. And a decade later, look what they did to innocent people in Boston. But that's not always the way hospitality works. Let's focus on something better. Sixty years ago, a young couple in Puerto Rico decided the future was in the United States of America. And they asked if they might come to this country, and they were granted that opportunity. They had no money. So they moved into one of the projects in the Bronx in New York City. They had a little girl born not long after. The mother was a trained nurse, and she got a job. The father drank and drank and drank some more. When the little girl was eight years old, she was diagnosed with diabetes. And her mother said, you know, I love your father, but he's not dependable. He may not be sober when you need him. His hand may be shaking when you need an injection. You've got to learn to do this while I'm at work. And an eight-year-old child learned to sterilize the needle and give herself a shot of insulin and get on to school or do homework after school. In fact, the father drank so much that he died a year later when this little girl was only nine. In writing about her life, she calls her mother and a grandmother really significant people in her life. We have a restaurant in Tulsa named Abuelos. If you don't know Spanish, you may not know that that means grandfather. There's a stone statue right outside the front doors of a grandfather. And in this book, this woman calls her abuelito, her grandmother, a really significant encourager, encourager. The mother working long hours as a nurse because the public schools at the project were not very good. And she sent this daughter to a Catholic school 
And after elementary school, she scrimped and saved to send her on through high school in a Catholic school, counting on the nuns and the priests to help her rear this child. She received a scholarship to Princeton University. And after she was graduated, she was admitted to Yale Law School. And after she was graduated, in time, she became a district judge. And in time, she became a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America. It's the story of Sonia Sotomayor, one who did appreciate the hospitality of the United States of America and realized the American dream. Number three, the third sad part about this story is that the disciple, one of them, is not doing what Jesus had in mind. And even though the commandment to love is not original, the word new gets in here, it's in the Torah. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew's Gospel, the two greatest commandments, he took them both out of the Torah, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. You must have no other God but him. You must love him with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is sort of like the first. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And now Jesus says, this is my commandment as I have loved you. If you forget everything else, do agape for one another. Put yourself out for the well-being of the other. Dr. Craig Barnes is the new president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He has written that when he was a young minister, his very first church, it was an older community, predominantly Norwegians. And he said, we had more dying than joining our church so I was thrilled one day when I called on a younger family who had moved into our neighborhood. They wanted to get their two little boys baptized, and I explained to them that I would love to baptize them, but they would be expected to take a vow. They would keep these children under the ministry and guidance of the church until one day they might affirm this faith as their very own. The mother and father said, yes, yes, we'll do that. And so they joined our church, he said, we baptized the two little boys, this older congregation just threw their arms around them. Here was a young couple with two sweet little boys. said the younger one was named Scott. People called him Scotty. Already he wore very thick glasses, which made his little eyes look like he was always sort of shocked when he looked at you. But people loved him. He was a sweet kid. And for a couple of years, all four of them were in church every Sunday, and then, Dr. Barnes says, I started noticing it was just the father and the two little boys, just the father and the two little boys. And finally, one day, when the boys weren't right with their dad, I asked where the mother was. And the father said, I need to come talk to you one afternoon after work. And when he got there, he said, my wife is an alcoholic. It's frightening me because I come home and she's passed out on the floor, and the little boys are unattended. I'm really trying hard to keep my family, my marriage together, but it's not going well. And then Dr. Barnes was offered a bigger and better church, and he moved. 
Occasionally he would ask about various families in this church he had pastored, and he was told that these little boys were growing up, but that one day their mother had, in fact, passed out in the kitchen floor, had left something on the stove, and it just kept burning and burning, and finally it set the house on fire. She was rescued, but eventually had had so much to drink, she ended up just a vegetative state in a nursing home, and the father and the little boys had to get along without her. But that little church, he said, kept their arms around this daddy and these two little boys. Covered dish dinners, special birthdays, Christmas, any special occasion they remembered those two little boys and their daddy who were there at church and Sunday school every week. Dr. Barnes said, I heard nothing more. And a few months ago, he became president of Princeton Theological Seminary. And he got an email from a friend who said, you remember a little boy growing up in your church in your very first church named Scotty? Well, of course. And he said, he's one of your students at Princeton Theological Seminary. And he said, I looked him up, asked him if he would sit down and visit with me. And he told me what that church had meant to him all these years. And I asked, so how did you experience this call to ministry? And he said, I just felt God was saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. As you've been loved, as you've been cared for, be loving. Be loving. This is the fifth Sunday in Eastertide. And so these great texts appropriate to the season are still about the resurrection of our Lord. And here in this passage, Jesus says to them, and they're frightened, of course, that Thursday evening, where I'm going, you cannot come now, but you will come later. I was reading a story written by Krista Campbell, who lives in Old South Florida. She said she was a 15-year-old sophomore in high school in 1970 when her Sunday school class decided they should be more aware of the terrible cost to our country of the Vietnam War, that we had many who were prisoners of war in South Vietnam and many others who were missing in action. And they had arranged for us to have little metal bracelets each one having a name of one of these persons either known to be a prisoner of war or missing in action. She said, my name is Krista. So when I looked in the box, here was a name on one of the bracelets, Major Joseph Cristiano. The little bracelets were $2. The money was to help keep this effort alive, remember the POWs and their families, remember those missing in action. And so she said, I wore my bracelet all day, every day, and when I would get ready for bed at night, I would take it off and put it right by my bed, and it would remind me to pray for Major Cristiano. And every morning when I got up and started dressing for school, I'd put my bracelet on and say a prayer for Major Joseph Cristiano. Twenty-two years passed. And I had an opportunity to be in Washington, D.C., and I went to the Vietnam Memorial, that black wall. I had no idea where to find his name. I went to the information booth, 
and I told them the name I was looking for. Are you a member of the family, they asked. I said, no, I've just been wearing a bracelet and praying for him for 22 years. And they said, well, if he has one little symbol by his name, it will mean that he's still missing in action. They told me where to find the name, and I went with tracing paper, as I'd heard that others did, and I found it. And it still had that little mark, still missing. 22 years later, still missing. All these years, every morning, I'd prayed for him every night. I just renewed my efforts to continue to pray for him. A few months ago, she said, she turned on the television after dinner one night, and when the news came on, it said, six American airmen's bodies were found in Laos. They had been shot down 46 years ago, and their bodies have been brought back to the United States and buried in Arlington Cemetery. And Krista wrote, I felt warm tears spilling out of my eyes, and I felt, Major, Major, welcome home. But Jesus would have said, I saw that plane go down 46 years ago, and I went to Laos, and I took Joseph by the hand, and I led him home.